small doses, and yeah, that's about right. It's fun. One of the things I love is just how quiet it makes it. It is the great equalizer of beauty also, isn't it, right? It makes everything pretty. Uh, we went out uh, and got a Christmas tree yesterday, and uh, so we've got two little boys who, for the f- very first time, uh, have seen snow. They woke up a uh, couple, you know, when it first snowed this week, and one of them ran out, and we'd ask them, so did you have snow in China? And one of them said, no, no snow in China. And the other one said, yeah, I had snow in China. And th- that one, when he ran out, he saw the snow, he said, he just yelled out, he said, I think America has more snow than China does. <laughs> so he'd seen some snow, but he hadn't seen snow like this. So we took them out and uh, got a tree and put a dead tree in our house and introduced them to American Christmas, right? And uh, so that's fun. And the other one wanted to know when we were going to, we just had the tree and it didn't have anything on it. And he wanted to know when we were going to put the diamonds on it. He meant the lights. And he said, when are you going to put the diamonds on the tree? So, so he woke up this morning and there were diamonds on the tree. So that's kind of how things are going at our house. Well, uh, glad to see you this morning and looking forward to this Sunday and the next two Sundays, the 18th and then Christmas morning here on the 25th. That's going to be a special morning. Also, uh, so that's going to be special. My pastor friend Craig Pfeiffer told me that Christmas falls on a Sunday every five, six, and then 11 years. So the pattern is five, six, 11, five, six, 11. So every year, in, at least in this century, that ends in a double digit, not counting 2016. But after this, 2022, 2033, 2044, those plus a few others, those will all be Christmas on a Sunday. So we're going to have just a special morning and uh, looking forward to that. There, you know, for those of you who can't make it on Christmas Sunday, Mission Church is going to be hosting a Christmas Eve service, and they're going to be doing it right here, and you could join them for Christmas Eve, and I think you've got details in your worship folder on that. So, uh, lots of different ways to worship through Christmas. So, I have a question I want to ask you at the very beginning of our study this morning. I want to ask you, what's the biggest thing that anyone ever gave up for you? When Lisa and I were in college, we were in the process of getting engaged and figuring out how life was going to work for us in the days ahead. And we were thinking through the timeline and also thinking through the money. And uh, I had tried to put some pencil to paper, you know, and figure out how we were going to afford to be married because we were both going to be in school. I will have just graduated from college and was going to start graduate school, seminary, and she was still finishing up her bachelor's degree. So we were both going to be in college at the same time. We were going to move to a new town to ch- and change schools, and we didn't have any idea what our jobs were going to be. We just didn't know, didn't know any of that. And we were trying to figure out how are we going to have enough money to afford to be married. And I came up with an idea. And I came to Lisa, and I still remember, I still remember sitting down with her and sharing my brilliant idea. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about this, and I've been working about this. I, I think if we only ate two meals a day, if we skipped lunch every day, we could, that would just be enough to put us over the edge, and we could afford to get married if we just skip lunch. And you know what she said to me? She said, no. 
She said, no, which is really a pretty smart answer, actually. If your man can't afford to feed you three times a day, then you don't need that man, right? You just don't. And that's what I would tell my daughters. I would say, no, no. Um, So from one side, uh, that answer makes a lot of sense. But the part of it that I, do, I, that I remember is that Lisa wasn't willing to give up lunch to marry me. That's the part I remember and carry with me to this day. So what would someone give up for you? Lunch? What would someone give up for you? Oh, Henry, you know everybody, you, you know that story, a short story by O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi, and it's about this couple kind of in the same boat, no money. They didn't have any money, and it was Christmas Eve, and they had no way to show their love for each other. And uh, Della and Jim, you, you know this story. And so the only thing they had, Della had beautiful long hair that went down past her knees. And that's what she had. And the only thing that Jim had was a pocket watch that had been handed down from his father and his grandfather. And they, those were their two prized possessions. Well, you know, Della went out and she got her hair cut off, just cropped, and sold it to a wig maker so that she could get $20 to go buy a beautiful chain for Jim's watch. And Jim went and sold his watch so that he could buy two beautiful turquoise or uh, tortoise shell combs for Della's hair. And then that Christmas Eve when they came together to share their gifts, you know, kind of the irony of all of that is that they'd both given up everything they had in order to uh, show love for each other. And they ended up being loved but having a watch chain without a watch and hair combs without hair. But the story is just uh, kind of a picture of self-giving love. So I don't, who would cut their hair for you? Who would sell their heirloom for you? Has anyone ever done that? What's the biggest thing anyone's ever given up for you? Well, uh, all month long, we're in a passage of Scripture that is going to help us this morning kind of think about this idea. Think about something that Someone has given up for us. Because we're in a passage, uh, it's in the book of Philippians in your Bibles, and you can open there now if you want. We'll get there in a minute. But the reason that we're in this passage, we're in it all four Sundays of this month. And we're taking it in, and it's a significant passage for several different reasons. The first of those reasons is that it is an old it's an, it's an old truth. Now, all of, our old, all of our New Testament is old. It all, even the latest parts, are written just within decades of Jesus' life. So the whole New Testament that tells us about Jesus and who he is, the whole thing is old. But there's this part of the book of Philippians that is even older than when it was written. And we know that because uh, the person who wrote it, Paul, is using it as an illustration, as common knowledge. He's trying to challenge the church, the, the Jesus followers at Philippi, to conduct themselves in a certain way. And so he appeals to the example of Jesus, uh, this, common, this common teaching that everyone already had. So even though the book of Philippians is old, the uh, part that we're going to look at predates even the writing of the letter. That's the first reason this is a great passage to look at. Uh, The second reason it's a great passage to look at, especially at Christmas, is because it really presents Jesus in a very concentrated teaching. The Gospels 
are, are long, extended portraits that when you, if you could boil the Gospels down to their essence, you'd get something very similar to what we have in just six verses in Philippians. So very concentrated teaching of who Jesus is. Just every, all the extras stripped away and just who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And the third reason that this is a passage that's worth our time is because of who wrote it. The person who wrote this passage used to be a Jesus hater. He used to be Christianity the, the Christianity and Jesus followers, their biggest opponent. He would hunt down Jesus followers to throw them in prison, and he became, instead of the greatest uh, opponent of Christianity, became the greatest proponent when he met Jesus himself. So he does a 180, so that's who wrote it. It's old, even older than the letter itself, and it is the truth of the Four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but just boiled down into six verses. And so that's why this is a, a meaningful passage for us to explore. And we're in it all four Sundays in December. And I'd like to go ahead, and we're in Philippians chapter 2. I'd like to go ahead and read that passage with you. It says this. We're going to begin, we're going to back up a little bit to kind of the... Uh, reason that Paul shares this teaching. He's, remember, wanting to appeal to the Jesus followers at Philippi to conduct themselves in a certain way. And he says this. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Well, Paul here in presenting this teaching, you see how he uses it as an example, kind of common knowledge that everyone already accepts about Jesus, that he wants to appeal to so that they will imitate him in their own behavior. And here's what he says, and we're going to spend our time at the very front of this uh, teaching again, where it says this, that Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, when we look at that, as we uh, look at this, uh, we look at this teaching. We remember what we talked about last week. What we talked about last week is to appreciate the middle and the end. You really have to appreciate the beginning, and the beginning says that he, the Jesus, is in very nature God. And you remember those words, very nature, that they translate one Greek word, the word morphe. Morph, we get our word, English word morph uh, from that. And in those days, that word morphe meant the, that which corresponds exactly to reality. So Jesus had a nature that was in very fact God. Jesus is in very fact God, that, that uh, he is the eternal God. And that this isn't just something that Paul taught about Jesus, but if you were here last week, and you can find this message online if you weren't, Jesus himself, he said the same thing about himself. Your university professor won't necessarily 
tell you this, but Jesus himself acknowledged that he is the eternal God, and we saw that last week. So this is who we're talking about. We're talking about the eternal God, Jesus in very nature God. And today we're going to see what Jesus, who is in very nature God, who is God, we're going to see exactly what he does, what he gives up for you and for me. And we're going to look at this teaching here, and then we're going, to, we're going to take a look at the different words and understand it, and then put it all together so that we understand what it really means for us. So we have Jesus, who is in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing. So we're, here we have Jesus, who has equality with God. He is God in the flesh. Now this is, is like, well, you know, God is triune. God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And Son is part of that triune equality. He is equal with God. He is, he is part of the Godhead, all right? And yet he doesn't consider that status as God something that he has to cling to, something that he has to hold on to. He doesn't consider equality with God something to be white-knuckle held on to. But instead, it says he made himself nothing. The idea here is he, he, the Greek word is he emptied himself. If you sometimes run into the word, run into the word kenosis, all right, that's what, that's where it comes from. It comes from this. And if you don't run into that word, you don't need to worry about it. But if you do, it comes from this idea that Jesus made himself nothing. He emptied himself of his status, his privilege as a God, and instead, took the very nature of a servant. Remember those words, very nature? Second time they show up here, same Greek word, morphe, that which corresponds exactly to reality. He took on the exact identity of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Here's how one translation puts it. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. You remember who we're talking about? Eternal God. And this is what he did. Now, this is is really the headline here. This is why Jesus' birth was announced by angels. This is why uh, Jesus' life changed the course of history. Because this person named Jesus, who lived in first century, the first century Middle East, was eternal God in a body. This is the core teaching of Christianity. This is the heart of Christianity. See, Christianity is not about a, a set of teachings. It's not about a moral code. Uh, Christianity is not about the beauty of a religious life. Christianity is not about a process of making the world better or becoming better people. The core of Christianity is simply this. It's about an act in history where God becomes man. The eternal God trades in the perks of Godhead for the pains of manhood. He becomes selfless. And that's what Christmas 
celebrates. It celebrates the fact that the God of the universe was born as a human being. See, that's what, that's what you sing when you sing, Mild He laid His glory by. You're singing Philippians 2. That's what you sing when you sing, uh, Word of the Father, now in flesh, appearing. Philippians 2. That's what you sing when you sing Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, the offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Incarnate. Carnate means flesh. You buy chili with meat. It's called chili con carne. If you're a meat eater, you are a carnivore. The incarnation is God becoming flesh, meat. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, our God with us. That's what you sing. You sing Philippians 2 when you sing that song. So many lyrics that we sing at this time of year have this truth, this very truth embedded in it because that's really what Christmas is. It's the celebration of what is called the Incarnation. Here's what Philip Yancey has to say about this. He's a Christian author, and he says this, The God who came to earth uh, came not in a raging whirlwind, nor in a devouring fire. Unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down, 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 so small as to become an ovum. A single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye, an egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape, enlarging cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. The God who roared, who could order armies and empires about like pawns on a chessboard, this God emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder. Talk about selfless. An amazing act of selflessness. Nuss, eternal God in a broken human body. So that's the what. Jesus, in this passage, eternal God becomes a man. But we haven't answered the why. Why would God do this? Why is this even necessary? Well, one of Jesus' closest friends, the person who probably knew Jesus just about better than anyone else when Jesus walked this earth, he tells us why God did this and why it needed to be done. He says in 1 John, his name is John, he says in 1 John chapter 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the why. 
The why is because God loves you and me. He wants to be in proper relationship with you and me. And he wants that so much that he's willing in the person of his son to become a human being and to live and then ultimately to die for you and for me. That's what the words atoning sacrifice mean in this passage where John says uh, that, that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. An atoning sacrifice is someone who dies in order that someone else's relationship with with someone might be made right, uh, to, to, make, to make a reconciliation, an atoning sacrifice. And that's the ultimate purpose of Jesus' life. We're going to look at that next week in our Philippians passage. But what we'll say about it this week is simply this. If someone needs to die in your place, they're going to need a body to do it with. They're going to need a human body to do it in. So Jesus, the eternal God, becomes a man, and not just a man, but actually an atoning sacrifice so that we might live through him, is what John told us, that we might live through him. So this is because God loves you, and God loves me that he would do this. So what would someone give up for you? Well, in this case, Jesus gave up his perfect existence as God to take on an imperfect an imperfect human body, the limitations of a human body, and that is a mystery beyond our ability to comprehend. We should think about it. That's why every year it's good for us to come back to Christmas, to think about this amazing truth. It's a mystery how an eternal God who lives in a body uh, can live in a, a human body and at the same time be fully God and fully man. It took Christians a long time, Jesus' followers, it took them a long time to kind of figure out exactly how this could be. And that's when you read about church councils and those kinds of meetings that happened in the early days. They weren't trying to, uh, they didn't come up with these things. They were just trying to reconcile how God could be, uh, someone could be fully God and fully man at the same time. So it's no less of a mystery today. But this mystery is the crown jewel of the Christian faith because it tells us what God is like. God is loving and selfless and willing to take the initiative to have a relationship with you. It tells us what we are like. We are in need of an atoning sacrifice. We are on our own, not fine. We are in need of someone to do something about us in order to make us right with God. It tells us not just what God is like and what we're like. It tells us what we can be like. We can be forgiven, have a restored, repaired relationship with God. And it tells us what God has done to make this possible. The eternal God became a human being. That's really what I want us to think about this morning. I want us all to think about this amazing mystery And then I want to apply it to a a couple different groups here. First of all, I want to talk for just a minute to the person who maybe has never yet quite figured out if you even believe all of this. I understand. I absolutely understand, especially on a Sunday like today, because honestly, what we're talking about this morning, it's not a very easy on-ramp into Christianity. If uh, you came this morning, you're like, I want to understand more about what Christians believe about who Jesus is, and you came and, and you hear us talking about God who's three in one. And there needs to be an atoning sacrifice. 
and an eternal God became a human being. Like that is just not an easy on-ramp to the Christian faith. I understand. What it really is, here's what you're getting. You're getting a glimpse into the, the heart. We're, we're not leading. We're kind of leading with the most difficult truth to understand. But, but here's what's amazing about this truth that's hard to understand. It, it appeals to people around the world because of its truth. Because of its truth. So here's one thing I like to think about. We're in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, just because of where we're at on this planet, we're at the end of December the 11th, pretty much, for the rest of the world. Most of the rest of the world has already, has already had December the 11th. Okay, Just a little bit left of the little slice of the planet still to go. And, uh, or at least, at least the morning of December the 11th, this time, right? We're at the back end. And, and all around the world, all around the world today, people have worshipped Jesus as God in a body. All around the world, people have acknowledged the, the benefit of God coming into the world and being an atoning sacrifice because that's how we experience life. Millions and millions of people around the world today Millions and millions of people throughout 2,000 years of history have, have heard this mysterious truth, but it's still, in, even in its mystery, even if it's difficulty to understand, it made sense. And maybe that's you this morning. You're like, this is hard to understand, and it's kind of, it's, it's a little difficult, but, but it speaks to me. Even though I haven't made up my mind about whether I think it's true or not, it speaks to me. Well, there's a good chance that that is God speaking to you and that he's showing you that this is true because it is. And so I'd like to encourage you, if that's going on in your life, you ought to, you ought to, God's engaged with you and you should engage with him by at least taking the next step. What would that step be? Well, it kind of depends on where you're at. If your step is like, I need to learn more about who Jesus is and, and some of the things that, that Brad's talking about this morning, that's a great next step. We have a book that uh, is on the uh, guest services table called, we're giving away this Christmas, called The Case for Christmas by a journalist named Lee Strobel. And he just takes some of these challenging things about who Jesus is and unpacks them a little bit and explains them and gives you a, a little bit of a foothold if this is new to you. So I would encourage you, that may be your next step. Your next step may be just simply to show up every Sunday at Trinity and continue to be engaged with a group of Jesus followers while you get a sense of who Jesus is and how he can change a person's life. Maybe your next step is to have a conversation with someone. You need to dialogue and some back and forth because you've got questions. And a book's not going to help. You really want, a sermon's not going to help because you can't raise your hand. I guess you could, you know, but feel hard to do. So you need to have a conversation with someone. Uh, then I'd encourage you to take that step. Or maybe this morning you've covered all those bases and you know it's just time for you to make a decision. And you just have to commit yourself to this. It's as simple. We said last week. We'll say it again this week. It's as simple as A, B, C. All right? If you're at the point of you are ready to take this, make this life decision, uh, your A is you simply uh, accept, uh, acknowledge, that, and, and admit that you are in need of what Jesus has. That you are in need of someone to come between you and God and make things right. So you just admit that. 
B is you believe. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do, that he is the one who is God in a body who came to make things right with you. And you uh, see, choose. You just choose to make that the defining reality in your life and to become a Jesus follower. And A, B, C, it's as simple as that. And when you make that life decision, an eternal transaction takes place that will change your life today and for eternity. If you're here this morning and you have not taken that step, that's the most, that's the beginning step in your journey with God. I encourage you to do that. If you've done it, mark your blue card. If you need to talk to someone about doing that, mark your blue connection card and we'll follow up so that we can either celebrate with you or help you process what your next step is. We'd love for you to do that. Maybe you are, have already taken that step and it's time for you to take the step of baptism, identify publicly with who Jesus is. You can mark that on your connection card as well. Then there's a whole room full of us who are like, yes, I, I, uh, I believe this and it's a mystery and I can't say that I can explain it, but I believe it's true that Jesus has done this for me. Then the question for you and me is, okay, how well are we imitating that in our own lives? Paul says he's using this as an example. Jesus was selfless so that the church would be like him and would look on the interests of others more than the interests of our own selves. And so that's the challenge for you and me this Christmas. How are we going to look out for the interests of others above our own? We have a lot of opportunities as a church to do that. Uh, One of those opportunities is Blue Ridge Christmas, uh, taking... Uh, families who are unable to either have food and, and gifts and even clothes to celebrate Christmas with and just showing them love. Showing them love without any strings attached by providing this for them. And we have a sign-up table for you to do that. And then we're in the middle of this uh, reverberate Christmas offering where I'm excited. I'm not going to tell you where we're at there, but I would say that we've seen some significant movement and some significant generosity already, and we'll share with you in January what the final number is. But uh, we're excited to be able to, to give this offering and to raise a level of common grace and saving grace in our valley. And so that's another way to put the, in, the needs of other people above our own. And uh, so with these things in mind, we all have different ways that what Jesus has done should impact our next step. I want to give you a minute to think about that, and then I'd like to pray for you. So if you'll bow your heads for just a minute. Why don't you just think about uh, maybe you need to make up your mind about Jesus or take, up, take a next step to figure out who Jesus is and what you're going to do about that. Maybe you're a Jesus follower. You need to think about how you're going to put the needs of others ahead of yours this Christmas season. Let's think about that. Those are, those are both scary steps. So I want to be able to pray for you. I'll do that in just a minute. Father, we're uh, thankful to be here this morning and to be really confronted with what is, what is undeniably a very challenging idea. That you, as the eternal God, became a human being and became fully God and fully man at the same time. Beyond our ability to understand, but we do affirm it as 
really the, the foundation of our relationship with you, the purpose of who Jesus is. It's really uh, what everything revolves around, and so we affirm that. And, and uh, what Jesus has done for us raises big challenges for all of us. For some, the challenge is to accept it and believe it and orient our lives around it. And I pray for that person this morning that, that uh, you will help them to decide once and for all that Jesus is who he says he is and that, that uh, they're going to follow him. And then to mark that decision through baptism. I pray that you will help uh, those who are here this morning and need to take that step. I pray for uh, the rest of us here this morning who need to uh, look at what Jesus has done for us and be selfless like that in the lives of other people. Challenge us. Help each of us take the steps that are appropriate to where we're at. We thank you for how much you love us and how this great act of love shows us what you were willing to give up for us. We pray that we'll live like people who are Jesus followers and that people will be able to see that in us and we ask it through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to uh, continue worshiping through giving our offering. And as we do that, just a couple of things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, uh, uh, your blue connection card. Uh, you know, we uh, always enjoy hearing feedback and, and uh, enjoy being able to pray uh, for you. There's one particular part I want to draw your attention to. You know, if you're a person who's uh, in process, you know, you're, you're wrestling with this uh, mystery of how God came and... and Something about chili con carne, you know, in there. If that's where you're at, uh, I want to draw your attention to the, the top of the, the, or the back of the uh, connection card on the top. There's some boxes, you know, and if you want to talk to somebody, we'd love to be able to do that. If you, uh, uh, maybe you've made that decision. Maybe you finally, finally made that decision. Well, let us know, and we'd love to celebrate that with you. We'd love to be able to resource you. And so I want to draw your attention to those things. And, and as we do prepare to give our offering, you know, we've been talking about reverberate, Christmas and uh, the opportunity for us to really do something amazing uh, here in our valley and make an impact. And so I want you to uh, make a note. You've got this red a bit of information, and I want you to take a look at this video, and uh, we'll talk about Reverberate here in just a sec. This Christmas at Trinity, we're doing something special. As part of our desire to reverberate and raise the level of calm and grace and saving grace in our valley, we're taking on a challenge to spend less on ourselves so we can give more to others. We're taking all four Sundays in December to give to a special Reverberate Christmas offering. And then when we're done, we want to give it all away. We're going to give one-third of this offering to a gospel opportunity, one-third to a civic opportunity, and one-third to an opportunity that we haven't identified yet because you're the ones who are going to generate this idea. One-third of this offering will go to a project that one of you wants to pull off to make disciples or make a difference in our valley. So I'd like to talk to you about one of those opportunities today. One of the ways that we want to reverberate with this offering is by making an investment in our city. Originally, we envisioned giving a portion of our offering to the city council. And someday, I think we should do this. It's a way to show our love for our city it's a way to build bridges with its leaders. But this year we've become aware of a much more pressing, much more timely opportunity. 
It seems like almost any day you pick up the Union Bulletin, you read about some kind of problem related to homelessness in our area. But we have a unique resource for the homeless in Walla Walla, the Christian Aid Center. And one of their most important ministries is to women and children. And because the need for women and children is so great, they've started a campaign for a new women and children's shelter. It's a new facility that will double their capacity, put all women and children under one roof instead of scattered in various buildings, and provide a whole new level of safety and security and ministry to these vulnerable families. It's a gigantic project, almost $5 million, and they can get a $700,000 grant if they can show significant progress toward this goal by April. Well, that's where our Reverberate offering will come in because we're going to send one-third of whatever is given straight to the Women and Children's Shelter Project at the Christian Aid Center. And that's what's great about this opportunity. It's a civic investment aimed at helping the problem of homeless families, but it's a gospel investment too because the Christian Aid Center is a gospel-centered ministry that brings the good news of Jesus along with solutions to homelessness. And it's the only ministry like this in the whole valley. So this Christmas, as we think of Jesus' generosity to us, let's be inspired to be generous with others. Let's give to this great project and watch the knowledge of the glory of God fill this valley like the waters fill the sea. So as we give our offering here, uh, you know, you can always give to the general fund, and uh, certainly that's a valuable investment. If you want to give to the Reverberate Christmas offering, we've got the special envelope. You can also use the Trinity app. So we're going to give you a moment to uh, uh, follow up on that and fill out your connection card, and then uh, our ushers will come forward in just a moment.
about reverberate I'll draw attention to this insert in your worship folder on one side it talks a little bit about what we're doing but on the back side it's uh, got some guidelines for the proposals that uh, we're soliciting from you proposals to make a difference in our valley and some of the guidelines uh, deadline for submitting a proposal is the last day of January so you have a little bit of time but uh, take a look at this, and you can find uh, sam- you can find both a sample proposal and some blank proposal forms around the building. If they're not around, we've got them in the office for sure. And you want to pick up one of those and dream big and think about what you'd like to do to make a difference in this valley. So there's that for you. I'd like to pray for us here in just a second, and then I also want to remind you. Four Sundays in December, we're two Sundays in, we've got two Sundays to go. A great opportunity for you to invite someone to come with you. Bring someone with you who needs to hear who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We'll continue this study next Sunday. Father, we think about the work that you want to do uh, in us and through us as a faith family. I thank you for this church and for what you're doing here. I know that uh, you have this faith family in this valley at this time for a reason. So help us to be aware. Help us to be alert to your purposes for us this week. Help us to live as hopeful Jesus followers and bring light everywhere we go. We ask that you will do this in in a way that someday we'll be able to look in this valley and see the knowledge of your glory fill it like the waters fill the sea. And we ask it through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.